Here's the jam-packed rundown for this edition of the Cigar Dave Show. Number one, we celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Number two, congratulations. You funded the Silicon Valley Bank Depositor Bailout. Number three, cannabis good, cigars bad. Number four, why phony Fauci lied about inexpensive, effective therapeutics to cure the Wuhan virus. Number five, climate wackadoodle Greta Thunberg changes her tune, pun intended. Number six, legendary NFL coach Bud Grant passes away. Number seven, Jeannie looks absolutely fantastic at age 91. And eight, SNL cuts parody skit portraying alpha males being superior to beta males. Not surprising, I have the audio. The Cigar Dave Show is presented by Davidoff of Geneva and their Avo portfolio of cigars, including the Avo Heritage, crafted through centuries of traditions. Avo Heritage was developed for the cigar connoisseur seeking a fuller-bodied cigar with strength, complexity, and impeccable smoothness. Savor every note of the spice-laden Avo Heritage, available at DavidoffGeneva.com. And by Gurkha, the world's finest cigars, including the new Gurkha Pure Evil, blended for cigar connoisseurs able to handle a full-flavored cigar loaded with strength, power, and richness. Don't let the name fool you. Gurkha Pure Evil is pure cigar pleasure. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. This is the Cigar Dave Show with the General. We are absolutely jam-packed today. We are loaded. We will get through everything. We will keep it light, bright, and tight. On this St. Patrick's Day edition of the Cigarro Dave Show, top of the day to y'all. We celebrate St. Patrick's Day. I started the day with some fine Irish coffee. I showered and bathed in Irish spring. Manly, yes, but I like it too. And, of course, I'm wearing a green shirt with a little green leprechaun upon it. As we welcome you to the Cigarro Dave Show, it is your global five-star old general and alpha male-in-chief Cigar O'Dave from O'Humidor 1A, O'Command Central Alpha, in the Cigar O-City of Tampa, Florida, O-U-S-A. And if you think I'm going to talk in that Irish accent the entire show... Forget about it. Not going to happen. But we will, of course, celebrate St. Patrick's Day, and we have done it in style. So far, I have this morning had my Irish coffee. I threw on for dinner this evening. I brined a corned beef for the last week, took a nice piece of brisket, full brisket, Packer brisket, and I brined it for seven days, submerged it in the refrigerator in a big brining bucket, and it has been doing its thing, and I will take it out. Actually, I took it out early this morning, washed it off with water, and let it soak for a little bit, and then I seasoned it up just a little bit, not to make it pastrami, just a little bit of additional seasoning, and I am smoking it on the grill. Most of the time, you boil Corned beef for corned beef and cabbage. No, 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 no. We've got it on the smoker. We've got it at 275 degrees. I'm going to do a quicker cook today. I'm not going to do one of those 14, 16-hour deals at 200 or 205. I'm going to do it at 275. We'll get the nice bark, nice color that we want on it after about five hours. Hit about 180, 85 degrees internal. And then we will go ahead 
and wrap it in butcher paper. And I've got a little secret that I use now that accelerates things and makes it extra tender on the inside. So we'll do that, and then we will let it uh, rest for about half an hour at room temperature, and then I stick it in a warming drawer at about 150 degrees for two, three hours, and by the time dinner rolls around this evening, we will be ready to enjoy that with some cabbage and some potatoes and traditional Irish fare. Always a tradition. And for our international cigar olitation and libation ceremony, we'll have a special cigar from Alec Bradley to celebrate St. Patrick's Day, and I've got a nice selection of Irish whiskey. Actually, I've got the Bushmills Red Bush Irish. Who doesn't like Bush? Really? Who doesn't like Bush? So I've got some Bushmills Red Bush that uh, we will enjoy today. Now, let me talk about the big event that took place over the past week. Actually, right around a week ago today, as this show is being recorded and dropped on St. Patrick's Day, Friday, March 17th, 2023, right around one week ago, we found out that SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, run on deposits. The bank was insolvent. California regulators came in, took it over. FDIC said, we'll insure all the deposits of everybody up to $250,000, which has been in place since 2007, 2008, during the last big financial crisis. For a long time, it was $100,000 from the 1970s, early 80s, $100,000 per account. So you could have multiple different accounts in the bank, and each one would be insured up to 100,000. I think there may there may have been a limit on it. Now it's 250,000. But there's one little problem. Many of the high net worth individuals and venture capital firms and other companies, primarily in the Silicon Valley or California area, they had well in excess of 250,000 on deposit. For example, word is Oprah Winfrey had almost uh, 500 million dollars, a half a billion in the bank. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, dumb and dumber, they had their significant net worth. And of course, all these people are Dem Libs, big Hillary Clinton, DNC, Obama, Biden contributors. And you knew there was no way that Biden and all the Dems in Washington were going to, and the Dems in the Senate, they weren't going to allow SVB to depositors to get screwed. That would be their uh, constituency. East Palestine, Ohio, screw them. Where's the bailout for East Palestine? I'm still waiting to see that. But when it comes to Silicon Valley Bank, millionaires and billionaires, as Bernard Sanders would say, they were taken care of. All their deposits would be 100% Guaranteed. They could start taking their money out this past Monday. No problem. And many did. Now think about this for a moment. The overwhelming majority of Americans in this country, $250,000 in a bank account, would meet their depository needs in terms of insurability. I don't know what the average is in the United States, but I would have to believe that probably at least 50% would have 250000 or less in their bank account or bank accounts. Now, of course, there are many people that have 401ks, that have, that have uh, other uh, accounts that are retired, could be in excess of 250000 
but you can still mitigate your risk by opening multiple bank accounts. And I don't know why anybody would want to keep their money right now in a bank savings account or even money market account because the interest they pay is absolute horseshit. Most banks today, I just did a scan, Bank of America, Chase, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, they're paying in a regular savings account 0.01%. 0.01%. You are losing money with inflation by keeping it in there. It may be fully guaranteed, but there are other methods in which you can secure that. And I'm not giving financial advice, but there are treasury bills that have very short maturity terms from four weeks to one year where you can keep your cash and get, I think right now, I just looked at the latest auction, was about 4%. So you go and buy, now that's not 4% per month, it's per annum, but you divide it. So consequently, you can take your money that's in a, savings account and say, okay, I want to have some cash available, but you know what? I don't need all, let's say you have 200,000 in a bank account. Yeah, I want to have 5,000 available at all times, but I'll take the remainder of that and I'll go out and buy, and you can do it online, by the way. It's very easy to do, no cost. Treasury's direct, I believe. You go in and you buy the treasury bill for four weeks or 17 weeks or 26 weeks or 52 weeks. Most people would say, okay, well, I want to have it four weeks I can live with. And by the way, you can always resell those, even if you lose a little money on the interest rate. That is uh, secured by the full faith and credit of the United States of America. There's nothing more guaranteed than that. Yet all those depositors, and 93% of all the deposits in Silicon Valley Bank were not insured. But yet, over that last weekend... Their lobbyists, the board of directors of which there were only one that had any financial experience. There are Clinton, big Clinton donors, Obama donors, Biden donors, big donors to the DNC. Always follow the money, my fellow alphas. Follow the money. The lobbying that took place to the Senate, the FDIC, the administration, back rooms, there is no way they could allow that to happen. And by the way, it has also come out that the Chinese Communist Party, many of their companies had big, 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 big millions and millions of dollars in cash in the accounts. Why are we saving China? Why are we protecting them? And, you know, we hear often, we'll say, well, people didn't know, they weren't smart, they didn't realize it was only covered at 250000 We're talking in many cases about high net worth individuals that are not stupid. Oprah Winfrey is a billionaire. Oprah Winfrey damn well knew that any amount she had over $250,000 in that bank was not insured. Why is it my problem? Why is it your problem to bail them out if they were too stupid to seek other alternative means? I just gave you a method. Treasury bills, treasury notes. Whether in duration from four weeks to 10 years, if you want to go longer, treasury bonds, 20 or 30 years. Why is it? that we, the taxpayers, have to bail out these ultra-high-net-worth liberal individuals. And yet East Palestine, Ohio, flyover country, MAGA country, gets screwed. They are screwed. They would dream, most of them would dream about having, forget two fifty, but 125000 in a bank account. Many are living paycheck to paycheck. Did they get bailed out? Brain-dead Biden 
hasn't even visited East Palestine, Ohio. And yet, here we have people that are very smart. They are highly educated, putting money inside a bank, well above 250000 who cannot accept the blame for their own short-sightedness. And when you hear the government, you hear the Fed, you hear Janet Yellen and Biden saying, there's no taxpayer bailout, no taxpayer funds. Bullshit. Nobody has lied better to the American people than brain-dead Biden and his entire administration. He lied about being on the take from China. Now it's all coming out. The millions that he and Hunter have gotten and his family have gotten. They sold out the United States. Oh, it's all Russian and disinformation. Baloney. We know the truth. And yet here it is. He has the audacity, the chutzpah, to say, no taxpayer dollars involved. No, 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 no. Well, wait a minute. Not so fast, my friends. What did the FDIC and the Fed say? That they are going to now place an increased tax. FDIC insurance is funded by a small tax on every single bank. Every bank, big or large, I believe it's based on the deposits. There is a fee that goes into the FDIC insurance fund. They said, no, no, no taxpayer bailout, Not gonna, no taxpayer funds. Don't worry about it. What are they doing? Well, they're increasing the fees to every bank. Community banks that are in great shape. Regional banks. Some are great, some are not so great. Large banks. Who do you think is going to pay that? You, the banking customer. There is going to be fees that you are going to pay. Here's the second item. The Fed, in order to be able to provide all the Silicon Valley bank depositors with their whatever it was, $100 billion, $180 billion, whatever it is, to cover that, they have to print more money to do that. That is going to result in higher inflation. Who do you think is going to pay that? You and I, the taxpayers. Oprah Winfrey doesn't give a shit. She got her 500 plus million out. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, they're all, I'm sure they were sweating bullets all weekend, last weekend. Now, hey, everything's great. We got bailed out. Every Chinese Communist Party funded company that had millions and millions in the bank, we bailed out the Chinese Communist Party. That's right, we, the taxpayer. And people say, well, how did this happen? Was it because it was woke? No. I want to make something very clear. This had nothing to do with wokeness. Did they spend way too much money on woke bullshit? Of course. Did that tank the bank? No. Keep your eye, stay focused on the real story. Do not get distracted. And many Republicans are, are, are distracting from the real issue that took place. Here's exactly, if you, some people explained it well, some didn't. Let me explain to you exactly what took place. First of all, Silicon Valley Bank was a hedge fund disguised as a bank. They were the largest investor, the largest funder of many of these Silicon Valley startup companies. And three years ago, during the Wuhan virus, during the lockdowns when Zoom and all these other companies went through the roof, they benefited. 
massive amounts of deposits. In fact, Roku was one of the depositors that said they had close to half a billion dollars in cash at Silicon Valley Bank. They have a total of $2 billion in available cash, of which half a billion, $500 million, was at Silicon Valley Bank. Now, these are smart chief financial officers and treasury people at the company. These aren't people that, that are just off the street with no financial experience. Most of these are MBAs. You think Roku is going to hire some schlub off the street with no financial experience to manage a multi-billion dollar industry, uh, business? Absolutely not. But you're telling me they had $500 million in an uninsured account. You don't need that all at once. They couldn't go and say, hey, let's go ahead and buy some treasury bills again four weeks. We know we're not going to need the cash for maybe four weeks, eight weeks, 26 weeks. Great. Let's get 4% on our money and let's keep it in a safe vehicle. Their money was safe in the bank up to 250000 So let's say they have $500 million. Well, deduct the $250,000, plus million dollars, not safe. But here is exactly what took place. The bank's deposits absolutely swelled over the last two, three years. I think they swelled to, it was over $80 billion. It could have been over 100 120 I don't have the exact number. But whatever it is, it was huge. Now, I want you to remember one thing, that most banks pay virtually zero interest rates. How do banks make money? When you deposit your, your funds into a checking account, a savings account, those are what is known as demand, uh, demand deposits, demand accounts. For example, you have $10,000 in a savings account. You walk up to the bank teller today. You need some cash. And you say, I've got 10000 I am demanding $1,000. I want you to give me $1,000 in $100 bills. And they check your ID. And the teller says, sure, no problem. And she starts whipping off the $100 bills. She counts them in front of you. Congratulations. That is a demand account. Banks take money. They don't just take all the deposits sitting there and don't do anything with them. If a bank has, let's say, $50 billion in deposits... They're paying anywhere between 0.1%. Some money markets may be paying higher, or CDs may be paying 1.5%, but primarily they're pretty low. Money market accounts today, by the way, which are not insured by the FDIC but have been pretty stable, are averaging right now about just over 4% interest rate, 4.2, 4.3. It varies. But you go into the bank, there's $50 billion in deposits. They are allowed to lever that money. They can say, great, for every dollar we have in here, we normally can go out and either loan it or buy an asset, meaning a treasury bill, a treasury note that will pay a higher interest rate than what we're paying the depositors, and we make our money on the spread. And usually there's a debt rate, usually there's a leverage ratio, I think, Five, five to one. So for every dollar in deposits, the bank can go out and make five dollars in loans. Some eight on the high side. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, with Silicon Valley Bank, their leverage ratio was around 180 to one, which is unheard of. But what they did, they were paying in many of their their accounts two years ago. They were paying almost zero percent interest rate. But to entice many of the high net worth individuals and many of the corporations, 
they went out and said, we're going to start paying you a higher interest rate than what you would get in a regular bank. Now, two years ago, everybody was getting zero to 0.1, virtually nothing. Why? Because interest rates, the discount rate from the Fed, was virtually zero. We had massive inflation. The Fed said, we've got to tame inflation. How do they do that? We have to start raising interest rates. Interest rates have been, ris- have been hiked the highest amount in the shortest amount of time in American history over the last year. Now I think we're at 4.5%, 4.75, somewhere in that area, so that if a bank wants to go and borrow from the Fed window, they're going to pay 45 to 4.75%. Two years ago, it was zero. So what did the banks do? What did specifically did Silicon Valley Bank do two years ago? When interest rates were zero, they're paying their depositors shit, 0.1%, 0.2%. They went out and they bought 10-year treasury notes that were paying at the time maybe 2%, 2.1%. Now, the bank says, this is great. We're getting 2.1% on these treasury notes. We're paying our customers 0.1.2. They got a nice spread. They're making almost 2%. And when you look at the amount of money you're talking about, over $100 billion, that is significant earnings on the bank's income statement every quarter. And that works great until interest rates start rising, at which point the bank gets caught because they, had, they bought 10-year treasury notes with a fixed interest rate, and interest rates are going up. They have to start paying their depositors bigger interest or depositors will flee. And they do that. And all of a sudden, what do you know? The amount they are paying the depositors is more than the interest they are receiving. That does not work. Now, was Silicon Valley Bank going out and buying dangerous assets? The answer is no. U.S. Treasury notes, Treasury bills, Treasury bonds are very safe. However, the mistake they made is... They did not hedge against interest rate hikes. Now, I'm not going to get into the scientific description of a hedge. That could take me a while and how it works. Think of it as this. A hedge is insurance. Let's say the bank says, okay, we're getting 2% on these 10-year bonds that we bought. uh, 10-year treasury bonds. Correction, treasury notes that we bought. So we're getting 2%. But we want to insure against interest rate hikes. In case the rate goes above 2%, we can essentially hedge, meaning we're going to buy, I'm going to put it in simplistic terms, we're going to buy an insurance policy that if the interest rates go up, we're covered. So we won't get shafted. We'll break even on the deal. Silicon Valley Bank, their brilliant executives, did not hedge against that risk. That is a giant no-no especially when we had the absolute lowest rates in history. You talked to anybody two years ago, and I remember talking to people saying, there's no way interest rates are staying this low. The Fed will have no choice, especially when we saw inflation starting two years ago. And what did they say at the time, the Fed and the Biden administration and Janet Yellen? It's transitory. I don't give a shit if it's transitory or any other definition. It's inflation. They tried to make it like, oh, it's going to go away, no problem. It didn't go away. And by the way, inflation, we just heard, oh, in the month of February, it's a 6% annualized basis. That's a crock of shit. Food prices have gone through the roof. 
Now, energy prices have moderated because demand is down. But you take a look at many other prices across the board, they are through the roof. Don't believe 6%. Anybody that goes into a supermarket knows that's not the case. Every time you go in, the cost of eggs go, go up. The cost of fish and seafood now is ridiculous. I just looked at lobster, $60 a pound. I'm not going to pay that. 60, I love lobster, but 60 bucks a pound? Hard to believe you can go out and get a, a, a USDA Prime ribeye for, I think, $17.99 a pound. Prices have gone through the roof. Everybody knew two years ago the Fed was going to have no choice but to increase interest rates. And they did and continued to do. And if they stop now, inflation is going to go even higher and rampant. We're already into a mode of stagflation. The economy is not growing. We are seeing companies that are laying off people. I just saw from a large communications company this morning. They sent out an email to all their employees. They are going to stop matching 401k contributions. They're going to cut any unnecessary travel, no new hiring. Everybody knows that we are in a stagnant economy. A recession is here. It's not coming. It's here. We're seeing a retail recession. It's going to only get worse. And now the Fed says, all right, well, geez, you know, we had to protect all these banks. So if we raise interest rate, everybody's, all the banks are going to get screwed further. But if we don't raise interest rates, inflation's going to go through the roof. This is all created because of the Fed. When you allow 0% interest rates for 14, 15 years, it creates a humongous economic bubble. It is crack. It's the equivalent of giving investors, giving people crack. The savers, the people that worked their ass off to put money in a bank account, they got zero. They had no choice. They had to go in the stock market and other risky investments to try to get yield, to try to get an interest rate, a return on their, on their money unconscionable that the Fed created the biggest Ponzi scheme in American history. Bernie Madoff is a saint compared to Jerome Powell and Ben Bernanke and Janet Yellen and all the other clowns at the Fed and at the Treasury Department. They got us into this mess. And so what happened is you had Silicon Valley Bank that all of a sudden was caught the They had to sell their bond portfolio. They were going to take a loss. And when that came out, you had a number of big uh, account holders say to their, like, for example, a lot of these the venture capital funds in Silicon Valley saying, hey, this is what we're hearing. Take your money out. I'd like to know the inside information that Peter Thiel, if he had information, and some of the other venture capitalists with ties to the bank who started a run on the bank deposits, I'd like to know if they had insider information. That's illegal and that should be prosecuted. Everybody got panicked, and all of a sudden, a capital raise they had scheduled went south. The bond portfolio that they were going to sell, all of a sudden, they had to stop. And what happened? Everybody started to take their money out. And they didn't line up at the bank. They did it on their phone. They did it on their computer. And the next thing you know, over $100 billion in deposits, gone. The bank is negative solvent. And that's when all the shit hit the fan. So that's how it happened. Now, they had for nine months, they didn't have a vice president of of compliance and regulatory compliance. That's a huge red flag. 
But these are smart people that operate at the bank. These aren't idiots. These Most of these people are MBAs. And yet they couldn't figure out that they needed to hedge their interest rate risk on their bond portfolio. And who got, goes out and buys a 10-year long-term bond portfolio when you're talking about deposits that can be withdrawn in a matter of seconds? As an example, if they would have gone and bought T-bills, four-week T-bills, fine, four weeks. The worst that happens is, hey, we got to wait another two, three weeks till they mature, then we get all that cash. But they are now locked in to 20-year or 10-year treasury uh, notes. And that's why everything went down the tubes. So forget all the noise that you are hearing. You're hearing from people saying, wait a minute, this is... This, this is all about woke, and the bank spent money on wokeness and on this and that. Forget it. It's a distraction. What the Republicans need to concentrate on in the House and Senate banking committees, number one, why did they not have a hedge in place? Why did they not have a VP of compliance? Who were the, the execs making these decisions? Did anybody know what was going on beforehand? causing the run on the bank? And then why did the Fed feel it necessary to bail out many of these Chinese Communist Party accounts and high net worth individuals? When there is a specific program that says, your account is insured to 250000 Every depositor in that bank knew that. And in fact, many banks today, if you have more than two fifty, there are various companies, there's one specific, the name I, I can't remember, but probably three or 400 banks participate where you can go on their website and say, great, I want to put a million dollars in your bank, but I want to spread it to four different banks. You can do that. Boom, boom, boom. Many investment accounts, Charles Schwab, UBS, Goldman Sachs, you go on their website. If you've got a lot of cash, you can say, hey, I want this cash and I want to allocate it to these 10 banks. But you still get one statement. You don't have to open up 10 accounts. It's all done transparently behind the scene. Even, you can even hear Royal Baron in the background saying exactly. Even he agrees. Baron agrees. I think Baron just saw a Democrat, if I'm not mistaken. Or maybe he saw Janet Yellen or brain dead Biden. In any event, Baron, it's okay. Don't worry. No Democrats will come in the compound and command Center Alpha. Even he is fed up with what's going on in Washington. And he is a canine. I will guarantee you, Baron, Pendragon's Royal Baron, who, by the way, is going to celebrate his fifth birthday on March 22nd, and a very happy birthday to Cigar Mother, also next Wednesday, March 22nd. And that was the same birthday as the late, great Ava Uvesian, who we remember on that day as well. So happy birthday to Pendragon's Royal Baron and to Royal Mother Piera on their birthdays. But I guarantee you, Baron, five-year-old German Shepherd canine, is smarter than brain-dead Biden, Janet Yellen, and Jerome Powell combined. Guaranteed. Take it, pardon the pun, to the bank. So congratulations. Every American taxpayer funded the depositor bailout of all these high net worth individuals. While East Palestine, Ohio, those people are still shafted. Those people are still left fending for themselves. Those people have been abandoned 
by the brain-dead Biden administration, the president that said, I'm a president for all Americans. we got to come together, but yet can't visit East Palestine, Ohio. It is truly repulsive. And if you want to know why President Trump, why his approval numbers, why his poll numbers are increasing and starting to run away from Ron DeSantis, he showed up. 90% of life is showing up. He showed up for the people of East Palestine, Ohio. He met with the first responders. He talked to many locals. He brought cases of water and other cleaning supplies. And yet, how was that met by the Libstream media? How was that met by the Democrats, the enemies of America Democrats? Oh, he brought Trump water. Oh, it's just a marketing opportunity. No, he brought it because his hotels had loads of water on hand. And he donated all that water and got truckers that donated their services. And there was a big cleaning company in in, uh, Michigan that said, I'm going to donate all these cleaning supplies that will help. I didn't see any Democrats show up. I didn't see Biden show up. And then you have Pete Buttigieg. Can't even fill a pothole in a, in a little crappy town of South Bend, Indiana when he was mayor. Now, if you live in South Bend, Indiana, I'm sorry. It's not exactly, it's not Tampa. But the reality was he couldn't even run a small little town in Indiana. And now he's in charge of all transportation-related matters. It's a joke. Total, absolute farce. So congratulations. All of us have funded the bailout for Oprah Winfrey, for Prince Harry, Meghan Markle, for the CCP, for Peter Thiel, for all the venture capital companies, we funded the bailout. And yet when you ask now the Treasury officials, well now, is every other bank, is every other depositor covered up to with no limit? She can't answer that question. She was in front of the Senate Banking Committee, I believe, yesterday. She, she stumbled her way and couldn't answer it. These people are feckless. These people are complete ignoramuses. The people in Washington running the show in the brain-dead Biden administration are beyond incompetent, beyond stupid. They are embarrassing. And who suffers? We, the people. There's no question that elections have consequences, but stolen, fraudulent elections have catastrophic consequences. We're living through that right now. Does it seem as if there are more and more restrictions and taxes on those of us that enjoy cigars that are cigar connoisseurs? You want to go smoke a cigar out and play golf? I'm sorry. You can't do that on public grounds. You want to smoke a cigar while you're walking down the street? I'm sorry. You can't do that. That is not allowed. Let me take a sip of my Irish coffee here. Mm. It seems as if there's more and more restrictions. And now there's there's more of the enemies of pleasure trying to increase the age and what I'm calling the essential prohibition of cigars, of the consumption of cigars based upon an age. It's basically that we've seen this in New Zealand. They're introducing it now. They want to introduce it in California. We're seeing it in other states. Hawaii just uh, introduced it. Whereby... If you were born after, I think, 2007, you will never be able to purchase a cigar or any tobacco product legally. It is age-based prohibition, targeted prohibition. They're saying, no, no, we're not prohibiting it, but 
if you're uh, at this age, you will not be allowed to consume it. They don't care if it's a legal product or not. But doesn't it seem it's harder to enjoy a cigar? And yet, every time you turn around, there is a cannabis dispensary on every corner. And there are more and more people that are consuming cannabis saying, oh, we should be able to enjoy our cannabis. And they are. You go to New York. I've talked to people saying it's like uh, being in a, in, a, in a dorm room, a college dorm room, loaded with the, uh, the aroma of pot. Nobody's stopping that. Nobody's saying, oh, you can't smoke your joint on the street. No, no. Cannabis is legal. This is frightening in that a Pew Research survey shows that Americans now favor legal cannabis over legal tobacco, including cigars. This is a major societal shift. 57% of American adults would support a policy prohibiting the sale of all tobacco products. So 57% of Americans say, sure, prohibition of tobacco, including cigars, no problem. However, a larger majority, 59%, believe that marijuana should be legal for both medical and recreational use. Now think about that for a second. These people that say, oh, no, we should absolutely have legalized marijuana for recreational and medicinal, no problem. More Americans believe in that than they do allowing the legal purchase of tobacco products, including cigars. Do not be surprised when we see more and more people smoking pot openly, more and more people smoking pot in buildings where where government officials who were anti-smoking nuts, they were absolutely crazy. They were anti-smoking zealots say, well, that's different because marijuana is a different product. It's totally different. It's not consumed in the same way. Therefore, you can smoke your marijuana inside. That's for medicinal purposes. Even though recreational, it's okay. But you can't smoke your cigar inside or on the street. Do the enemies of pleasure not realize that you still inhale marijuana? You don't inhale cigars. You inhale cigarettes, and you inhale marijuana. That's going in your lungs. Did any of them think of that? By the way, when was the last time you ever saw a cigar connoisseur get pulled over for driving while puffing, being uh, under the influence of a cigar? Never. Never. It does not alter your mind. Do you feel great enjoying a cigar? Sure. I think it elevates my mood. I enjoy it. Does it change my decision-making ability? Does it change my reflexes? No. Alcohol does, and so too does marijuana. It is fact. But yet, no problem. Have your joint on every street corner. But a cigar? Forget it. So this is a quite, I think, quite uh, uh, chilling in that 59% of Americans say, no problem. Pot should be absolutely legal, but 57% believe in prohibition of tobacco products, including cigars. As I have said, ever since Joe Biden came into office, everything he touches turns to shit. Add this to the list. As you all know, I have not been a big fan of Anthony Fuhrer Phony Fauci. He's an absolute fraud. Fauci, all along, from day one, knew that the Wuhan virus was a result of 
gain-of-function research that he funded and offshored because it was not legal in the United States. So he funded it through a third party, offshored to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, the Chinese Communist Party, a known enemy of the United States of America. And I find it amazing that phony Fauci, for all those uh, uh, from day one, said, oh, this came from a wet market, this came from, it could have come from a cat, could have come from a civet, could have come from this, could have come from that. And everyone said, no. Many of the leading scientists said, wait a minute, not so fast. When we look at the RNA structure, the, the spike proteins looks like they were genetically modified, which, of course, we all know they were. Everybody knows that. Now we have the FBI and the Department of Energy saying, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, it, it's highly likely that it absolutely was, came from the lab. Now, whether it was released on purpose, whether it was released accidentally, who knows? Nonetheless, the Chinese Communist Party released the Wuhan virus, and then when it started to spread, they did nothing to contain the spread. They allowed Chinese nationals to travel overseas knowing it would infect and spread throughout the rest of the world. And when the CDC and the NIH said, well, can you give us some information? We need, we need uh, we, as much help, as much information. The Chinese Communist Party and the Institute of Virology went silent. Totally silent. Now, if this was accidental, don't you think any country would say, look, this was an accident. Here are all the details. We want everybody in the world to know. Nope. Chinese Communist Party didn't say a word. They were thrilled to destroy the economy and thrilled to kill foreigners around the world. No problem whatsoever. Now, early on, within about the second month of the Wuhan virus, you had President Trump saying, you know, I hear that hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, we're hearing from clinical Clinical situations, doctors treating on the front line, this is effective. And at every single turn, when Trump would say that, there was Fuhrer Anthony Phony Fauci to say, no, it's not true. This is wrong. There's no cure we don't know about. This is not true. No, no, no. He said that went to extreme lengths to dismiss President Trump, saying, well, maybe we should look at this. And President Trump's mistake early on was relying on phony Fauci. Instead of going out and saying, I want, let's get, get me the top 10 virologists in the country, the Harvey Rishes, the Anthony Bhattacharyas, or the, the uh, Dr. Bhattacharyas. Let's bring them in. And also, I want to talk to 20, 30 physicians across various parts of the country who are effectively treating this. I want to bring them to the White House, and I'm going to create a commission. I want them on it, and we are going to look at this because 40 heads are better than one. Fauci, Fought that every, and, and, and the scarf, Martha Burks, fought that every step of the way. Didn't want to hear it because they were the bureaucrats. They were the smartest people, not only in the room, but in the country. Their words should be sacrosanct after all. Didn't phony Fauci say, if you're denying science, I'm science. You're denying me. He really be- believed he was science. And all he would have needed to have done is gone back in Virology Journal, which is the foremost journal when it comes to studies and discussion of virology-related matters, to the August 22, 2005 edition, which I to- uh, told you about 
two years ago. And the headline, chloroquine is a potent inhibitor of SARS coronavirus infection and spread. Now, why is this important? Well, SARS, the respiratory, or was it a respiratory syndrome, SARS is 93% similar in RNA composition than the Wuhan virus. So chloroquine in this study showed it was effective. And hydroxychloroquine is very similar to chloroquine. Everybody looked at that and said, wait a minute, this makes sense. And why is it that people that were taking hydroxychloroquine for various medicinal purposes, for example, some people that have inflammatory diseases and MS, they take hydroxychloroquine. Why is it that many of them did not get the Wuhan virus when it was spreading like crazy? Now, Virology Journal is the gold standard. In fact, it's published not only on the CDC site, but it's also published on the NIH site. So Fauci could have easily looked at it. I'm looking at it right now. I am looking at this article, and it is a 10-page article. All the sources are listed. Everything is in here. It was peer-reviewed, and it was accepted. Very simple. That was at the time that the Wuhan virus hit, 2020. This was 15 years, published 15 years prior. And yet Fauci couldn't find this. Fauci couldn't look at it. I mean, I'm looking at everything, and it basically says right in the abstract that Severe acute respiratory syndrome is caused by a newly discovered coronavirus. No effective prophylactic or post-exposure therapy is currently available. Results. We report, however, that chloroquine has strong antiviral effects on SARS-CoV, not CoV-1, but CoV infection of primate cells. And it goes on to say that it stops the virus from replicating and it's effective in preventing the spread and inhibition of the virus. Bingo. Bing, 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 bing. But yet, what did Fauci do? Well, we need to have a double-blind study. We need to have a controlled study. It's got to be done over years. And yet, many people don't realize that penicillin never had a double-blind study. Why? Because when it was discovered and given to people, it was so effective they didn't need to wait. They said, it works. Give it to people. So penicillin, one of the probably most revolutionary antibiotics in the history of mankind never went through a double-blind, randomized placebo trial. It worked. It's all you need to know. If I see two people that have a headache, and I give them one aspirin and one not aspirin, and the one I gave aspirin to, the headache goes, I'd say, okay, it works. I don't need to do a double-blind study. Nope. Fauci resisted it. But why? Why was he so resistant? You would think that here the supposed number one virologist in America, his job is to protect the lives and health of 350 million Americans. He's the man that if there is something that can help Americans, he should be at the front line screaming, we have to do this. This will save lives. But he didn't. Why? Well, let's go back. Let's take a listen to what... And by the way, Fauci now is... He is in a corner. He's appearing everywhere on all the liberal friendly media saying, no, no, now there's evidence. No, this, this did not come from the lab. This came, could it be now? It could be from a raccoon dog. They're still trying to peddle this bullshit narrative that it came from a wet market. Why? Because the walls are closing in on phony Fauci. He knows he could be prosecuted. 
and he very well may be prosecuted. He lied to the American people. He knew he lied. And now it's all coming out. It's a different tune when all of a sudden you've got the Republicans running the show in the House. And I do find it interesting in both the House and Senate, unanimous votes, unanimous, that has never happened. I can't remember ever. Unanimous votes by every Democrat, every Republican and Independent in both the House and Senate to call for the release of all the intelligence community information on the Wuhan virus lab leak. Democrats and Republicans unanimously doing that? Unheard of. What does that tell you? Fauci knows he is in trouble. But let's take a listen to Fauci last week on BSDNC. The president again today repeated his endorsement of hydroxychloroquine, which the FDA said in June should not be used for COVID because it does not have known effects. Actually, this is a clip that I found. Let me, I, I'm mistaken. This is a clip that I found going back to when President Trump talked about hydroxychloroquine, and I think ivermectin as well. So I found this audio clip. So this is Fauci now. This will be three years ago, probably in right around April, May. The president again today repeated his endorsement of hydroxychloroquine, which the FDA said in June should not be used for COVID because it does not have known effects, known benefits, and it does have known risks for cardiac effects. So uh, how, how damaging is that, that he retweeted the, vi- the video and defended it again today? Well, the only thing that I can do, Andrea, is, is do what I've done all along consistently is that you look at the scientific data and the evidence and the scientific data, the cumulative data on on trials, clinical trials that were valid, namely clinical trials that were randomized and controlled in the proper way. All of those trials show consistently that hydroxychloroquine is not effective in the treatment of coronavirus disease or COVID-19. He lied. He lied then. He continues to lie today. And he knew about the Virology Journal research article showing that at the time, 2005, chloroquine, a potent inhibitor of SARS coronavirus infection and spread. He knew it. But why is it that he kept promoting the lie that it was not effective? Why? Here's Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Now, many people do not like RFK Jr. He's a Democrat, but I will say this. He appears, he has no problem appearing on liberal, on conservative, on any host show. And he wrote an interesting book about Anthony Fauci and exposed everything. Now, you may not agree with every position he has on vaccines, but one thing we have found is that the incidence of one of the things that RFK has, has uh, discovered, uh, numerous discoveries, is that the hepatitis B vaccine, which is given to babies the day of birth, <clears throat> now they believe there is a significant correlation between that vaccination and the increased rates of autism. When I was growing up in the 60s, 70s, I don't ever recall any classmates or anybody having autism. And now all of a sudden, the rates have just exploded. When we were growing up, when I was growing up, and I'm sure many of you growing up, 60s, 70s, babies were not given the hepatitis B vaccine. 
Why are they giving that today? Hepatitis V vaccine is primarily should be given to people that are drug users or people that are having a lot of randomized sex. That's the primary spread through used needle sex of hepatitis B. Why is that? Babies now being given it? Last thing I looked, babies aren't shooting up when they're one day old or zero days old, and they're certainly not having sex at zero days old. Always follow the money. Fauci and the NIH and the CDC wanted a hepatitis vaccine created. They went to all the various drug manufacturers and they said this will be big, and I believe they went to Merck. And Merck said, fine, we'll agree to do it. And Fauci and the NIH said, this will be big. You'll recoup your money, no problem. So Merck creates this vaccine. And what do you know? Nobody wants it. Not selling. Nobody's taking it. So what does Fauci and what does the NIH and CDC do? There's a little known rule that if you put a vaccine on the baby vaccination schedule. Number one, the drug company gets immunity. That's number one. And number two, the drug company is virtually guaranteed a profit machine as every single baby born every year starts getting that vaccine. And what did Fauci and the NIH do and CDC? They put it on the baby vaccination schedule. So now, for the last, I don't know how many years, 20 years, every single baby, even though it's optional, most parents have no idea they're given that vaccine before they can turn their head. Cha-ching, follow the money. So now Merck, and I believe it is Merck that does manufacture that. If not Merck, it's one of the other big pharma companies, but I'm almost certain it's Merck. Now they're guaranteed a massive profit stream, and they have immunity. I just spoke to somebody who is in the process of uh, their having a baby. And I said, well, if I were you, number one, I would not give them the hepatitis B shot. And they're like, what are you talking about? And when I explained it, like, I didn't know that. And then I said, and by the way, all these multiple shots at once, spread it out. Now, polio, sure, great, absolutely. But there are other shots, you know, measles, mumps, rubella. You can wait on that. You don't have to do it immediately. But in many cases, they want to give all these vaccines right off the bat. Spread them out. There's no reason to give a kid a hepatitis B vaccine at all. And I'm not giving medical advice. I'm giving you my opinion. Make your own decisions. Do your own research. The nice thing about our alpha audience, we are all intelligent. I know that you you read, you're up to date on current events. This isn't like a, a, a low informational Dem voter or, or Dem or Lib that basically is a dumb lemming, a blind lemming. They'll follow whatever their lib uh, leaders tell them to do. I tell you, do your own research. So here's RFK Jr. talking about why Fauci was so resistant to hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. The truth always comes out. Tony Fauci's problem is this. There's a little-known federal law that says... You cannot give an emergency use authorization to a vaccine if there is a medica- any medication approved for any purpose that is shown effective against the target disease. So if Tony Fauci or anybody had admitted 
that hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin are effective against COVID, it would have been illegal for them to give the emergency use authorizations that to the vaccines and they could never have gotten them approved. And it would have been a, you know, a 200 billion enterprise that would have collapsed. There you go. Bingo. And phony Fauci wanted to experiment the mRNA vaccines. These were experimental vaccines. They wanted to use the entire country as a test bed. This is supposedly the latest in technology where they'd be able to create these vaccines, and they did it without looking at the true dangers. And we're discovering dangers now. Do you think it is coincidental that healthy younger people in their teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, even 50s, people healthy, all of a sudden, with no warning whatsoever, are dropping dead? They are experiencing coronary effects that we've never seen before. These are athletes. These, this isn't like these are people that are out of shape, that are overweight. We're seeing athletes and well-tuned individuals going into cardiac arrest, and we're seeing it in front of our own eyes on television now. It's happening around the world. It is not coincidental. And when I hear people say, oh, yeah, I got my two shots and I'm getting my fourth booster, They may be dead in the morning. So now the truth is out. That's why Fauci railed against ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine at every turn. Cheap, effective therapeutics that were gaining in popularity across the country, being treated by physicians treating patients to tremendous success, keeping people out of the hospital. But no, Fauci knew that if they were that treatment was was shown to be successful which it was they would have never gotten the emergency use authorization for the clot shots for the Wuhan vaccines and knowing what i know today i wish i had never taken the two Pfizer vaccinations not going anywhere near a booster not going to touch it not going to think about it i've convinced umpteen friends do your research before you get it i'm not telling you not to get it i'm telling you do your research and then they come back and say geez i i, I can't believe it I, I i wish i'd never taken it in the first place we were all sold a bag of goods moderna pfizer they both knew early on in trials they were seeing all sorts of excessive cardiac issues and clotting issues uh women not menstruating They were seeing that in men, that the spike proteins were harvesting in the uh, testes. There's there's a long list, and yet you can't sue them. They are immune from suit here in the United States. And why do you see every commercial? Make sure you get your booster. Why? Because they want their big $100 billion a year gravy train to continue in perpetuity. It's over. The Wuhan virus pandemic is over when i see these clowns in their car still wearing masks and gloves you realize how stupid these people are i'm not saying don't take precautions if you see somebody coughing or hacking or wheezing you don't go near them but that's common sense absolutely incredible the truth always comes out and i'm telling you phony fauci is feeling the heat better lawyer up phony fauci because you should be tried for crimes against humanity found guilty and you know what the you know what the verdict the the end result on that is. You know what the punishment and sentence is. I don't have to tell you. Whacked. Firing squad. Hung. 
Any of those are fine with me, with phony Fauci. He is solely responsible for the murder of well over a million Americans when he knew that hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, were effective and safe therapeutics, especially when given early on. How many times have we heard the climate wackadoodles tell us that the earth is ending? We only have 10 years. We only have five years. Al Gore every 10 years going back 40 years ago saying, if we don't do anything, the earth is going to have the flu and we're going to be destroyed in 10 years. Every solar, every ice cap will be melted. We'll have rising sea levels and the earth will be gone. We've got to do something now. And then after 10 years, he says, well, now it's proven we have 10 more years. That's it. We had 10 years. Now we got 10 more. And they do this over and over again. The example, little climate activist and thespian, Greta Thunberg. You remember little Greta? No more blah, blah, blah. No more blah, blah, blah. How dare you? How dare you? Well, little Greta Thunberg, back in 2018, posted a tweet stating, and I quote, a top climate scientist is warning that climate change will wipe out all humanity unless we stop fossil fuels over the next five years. And in fact, around that time, this is what she had to say. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? How dare you? How dare you, little Miss Dramatic? Well, that was in 2018. She said five years ago, humanity is wiped out unless we stop using fossil fuels over the next five years. We are still using fossil fuels, and we are still here. And magically, Greta Thunberg has deleted that post from 2018 because she was wrong. Like all these climate hoaxers, they are wrong. Oh, and by the way, the website that Thunberg sourced in her original tweet, gritpost.com, shuttered, gone, finished. It is amazing to me that people are so stupid to actually believe that... If we don't do anything, if we stop, don't stop using fossil fuels, the earth will be ending. And as Gore said 40 years ago, we have 10 years. These people aren't scientists. They're not stupid. Remember, climatological records have only been kept for, what, 140 years? Something like that? The earth has been around millions, maybe even billions. If Bernard Sanders had anything to do with it, could be billions, but at least millions. And we're taking a small little slice? And I got a kick out of Obama. We don't do anything. The sea levels are going to rise. Miami, New York, LA, they'll all be underwater. He's so concerned about rising sea levels that he spent 13 million large on a huge estate in Martha's Vineyard on the water at sea level. If Barack Obama isn't worried about it, neither should you. No more blah, blah, blah. No more blah, blah, blah. And a recent poll by Rasmussen shows that now 60% of Americans don't believe that climate change is actually about climate. A majority of voters agree that climate change 
as a religion isn't really about climate at all. And they asked this question. Here it is. Climate change has become a religion that actually has nothing to do with the climate and is really about power and control. And they were given five choices. Strongly agree, somewhat agree, somewhat disagree, strongly disagree, not sure. 60% agreed, strongly or somewhat agreed. 35% somewhat or strongly disagreed, 4% not sure. That's almost double the number of Americans that now believe that climate change has become a religion that has nothing to do with climate change whatsoever. But if you go to these schools and you see these kids that are all being brainwashed, starting with Greta Thunberg, I mean, these people are absolutely crazy. Oh, we have to stop using this and we can't use... Well, what do you think is going to power your little video games? How are you going to recharge your iPhones and your computers and your iPads? How do you think that's going to happen? They have no clue the importance of steady baseload power. That is natural gas, that is coal, that is nuclear. Wind and solar are not baseload power. I think, if I'm not mistaken, solar only works like a third of the time. Wind is, I think, less than that. Not effective. But yet, we have all these people that are making millions. Greta Thunberg's now a millionaire. Look at Al Gore. They say he could be worth over $100 million. All these people spewing this climate change bullshit, making money head over heels, while the, while the dumb, lemming Americans are going, and the world, yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 yeah, i got to go to an electric vehicle. Okay. How do, you, how do you recharge your electric vehicle? When you ask people, well, you plug it in the wall. Well, where does the power come from? Well, the power company. Well, how do they generate that? Well, I don't know. Wind, solar, I said, so you think that actually wind and solar are charging your car overnight when it's in a garage? There is no wind and solar at night. doesn't work. It's natural gas. It is fossil fuel. It is carbonization, a carbonized fuel. And they're like, well, 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 but it's still better. Oh, sure, great. Let's buy all that lithium from China. And by the way, Every 50,000 miles, 60,000 miles costs you about $25,000, $30,000 to replace the battery, and there's no safe way to dispense of the lithium. But go ahead. You can keep talking about your bullshit climate change. And now we've got a majority of Americans saying climate change has nothing to do with the climate. Totally agree. All right, on a sad note here, one of the legendary NFL coaches, Harry Peter Bud Grant Jr. passed away this past week at the age of 95. He is in the NFL Hall, Football Hall of Fame in Canton, longtime Minnesota Vikings coach. Many people saddened by the news would still show up at uh, games and still involved. Beloved, not only in Minnesota, but in the country. But it's interesting because when I did some research on Bud Grant, he's got a very uh, unique background. He was born in Bloomington, a correction, Superior, Wisconsin. He actually, right across from Duluth, Minnesota, he was named Bud. It's actually, he was named, his real name is Harry Peter Grant Jr., Harry Grant. No relation to Cary Grant or Mr. Lou Grant from Mary Tyler Moore. But he was nicknamed Buddy Boy by his mother. When he was a little kid, his mother called him Buddy Boy, which later became Bud. And everyone around 
called him Bud. Nobody can you imagine saying the coach of the Minnesota Vikings, Harry Grant? Nobody would know what you're talking about. Bud Grant, like Bud, there's just something unique about that. It is unique, and it's it's an endearing Bud. That's how the nickname came around. But very interesting, when Bud Grant was a child, he was diagnosed with polio. It wasn't totally crippling, but his doctor suggested that he become active in sports to strengthen his weakened leg muscles over time. Bud Grant started with baseball, added basketball and football as he got older, and in his late teens, he played organized baseball in Minnesota and Wisconsin, and then actually in college, he listed uh, in the Navy when he graduated from high school, uh, so he was a, a veteran in the U.S. Navy during World War II, assigned to the Great Lakes Naval Training Station, and played on the football team coached by Paul Brown. When he was discharged, he went to the University of Wisconsin at Madison, but then decided to attend the University of Minnesota, three-sport, nine-letterman, athlete in football, basketball, and baseball for the Minnesota Golden Gophers earning Big Ten Conference honors in football twice. Here's what's interesting. When he graduated the University of Minnesota, he was selected in both the NFL and the NBA draft, selected in the first round, 14th overall, by the Philadelphia Eagles in the 1950 draft, and the fourth round, 47th overall pick of the Minnesota Lakers, also in the 1950 NBA draft. He played for the Minnesota Lakers for one season. 35 games, and he decided to continue his basketball career with the Minis- or the uh, uh, the Lakers, the Minneapolis Lakers, because they were local and offered a raise to stay for the season. So very interesting how that all happened. And actually, I believe they won, if I'm not mistaken. Wait, I want to take a look. For some reason, I thought that, uh, yes, he was a member of the 1950 championship team. So he not only played one season in the NBA, won the championship in 1950. Then, after two seasons in the NBA, decided to end his professional basketball career and uh, contacted the Eagles and played for the Eagles during the 1951 season. And then he ended up going to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and eventually became a coach and the head coach there. Very successful where he won, uh, let's see, he won uh, six Grey Cup appearances, winning the championship four times in 58, 59, 61, and 62, CFL Coach of the Year in 65. And he ended up going over to become the head coach in 1967 with the Minnesota Vikings taking over from the original coach, Norm Van Brocklin. And he was uh, with the Minnesota Vikings from 1967 to 1983. In 1984, the Vikings hired Les Steckel. They went, I think, like 2-14. and 14. It was a disaster. They brought Bud back. Bud Grant came back for one season, steadied the ship, got him to 7-9, and nine, and then they brought in, they hired uh, one of the uh, assistants, uh, assistant coaches to take over. But Grant was the first coach to lead his teams to both a great cup and a Super Bowl. He had four or five Super Bowl appearances, I think four. And the only other uh, coach doing so was Marv Levy. Marv coached for the Montreal Alouettes, won the great cup, coached for the Kansas City Chiefs, then the Buffalo Bills, longtime Bills head coach, four straight Super Bowls. Marv Levy and Bud Grant, to me, 
two outstanding gentlemen, class all the way. Let me tell you a real quick story about Bud Grant on a personal level. How, to a degree, Bud Grant kind of affected me. I never met Bud Grant, didn't know Bud Grant. However, when I was in high school, all the teachers had a football pool where every they would start the season and everybody would put in, I don't know, 10 bucks or 20 bucks. And this was around 19, probably 78. Uh, no, actually later. It was probably 1980. And one of my teachers, a science teacher, very well-liked, very well-respected, Father Ed Lawler, may he rest in peace. I thoroughly enjoyed his classes. I enjoyed just his uh, outlook on life. He just had a wonderful attitude, always willing to spend extra time if you needed help. He primarily did biology, um, human anatomy. Great teacher, beloved. And he was an ordained Roman Catholic priest, but very, very, just a wonderful, wonderful man. And so Father Lawler and I got, you know, I got to know him and I'd see that he would be picking his picks. And so one time I said, oh, Father, how are you doing on your picks? And he said, uh, I'm not doing too well. I said, well, let me see what you have. And he had some really bad picks. And I said, Father, these are not good. You got to change this one and this one and this one. He said, well, I'm doing so badly. Fine, I'll change it. This is like two thirds of the way through the season. I think it was my sophomore year in, in high school. After that weekend, I come in, he says, I can't believe it. You did it. I won the week. Like everybody, you win a certain amount of money per week. And then if you won the whole thing, there was another pot of money. He goes, I won the week. That's it. You have to start picking for me. I said, sure, no problem. And it was a very simple pool. There were no points, you know, spreads. It was who's going to win, team A or team B? Well, what do you know? We won again and we kept winning. We didn't win that year because he was so much in the hole. And he said, all right, I want you to pick from now on. Every week, you'll pick it. And I'll share the winnings with you. I said, Father, that's not necessary. I just enjoy picking it. I enjoy football. I'll do it. But he said, I've got one condition. You have to always pick the Minnesota Vikings because I love Bud Grant. I think Bud Grant is a classy coach. I like his demeanor. I just like Bud Grant. And you have to always go for the Minnesota Vikings. I said, okay, fine. And there were a few times when I said, Father, I know you like Bud Grant, and you want me to pick the Minnesota Vikings, but this week, they're not going to win. And he said, doesn't matter, doesn't matter, Minnesota Vikings. And I always honored that wish. Not only did we win a great number of the weeks, we won the last two years that I picked, my junior year and senior year. He won the whole pool at the end. And I'd always kid him, I got it, Father Lawler. Bud Grant, Minnesota Vikings. That was the first pick. I said, Father, before you even give me the sheet, just go ahead and circle Minnesota. And he'd always circle it big. So Bud Grant, that's kind of my little story with Bud Grant. And I also admired him too. He was kind of stoic on the sidelines, but I always admired him. He was a longtime coach, very beloved. I mean, his for years and years, his Vikings teams, I mean, I'm looking here. In 67, he took over. They were third, or three and eight. Three, eight, and three. That's when they had ties. Fourth in the NFL Central. This is before the NFC and NFC, uh, you know, the NFL and AFC, AFL merge. In 1968, first NFL uh, Central. Same thing in 69, 70, 71, 72, third in the NFC Central. And then from 1973 to 1978, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six seasons, first in the NFC Central. Then 79, third in the NFC Central, back to first in 1980, then fourth in 81, 
fourth and 82, fourth and 83. And that's when around the time he said, you know, probably a good time to retire. And he did. And they brought in this young guy who was their offensive coordinator, Les Steckel. He was a former drill sergeant, I think, in the Marines. Total disaster. And they came back, the Vikings came back to, to Bud Grant and said, look, we need one year for you to just steady the ship. The fans wanted him back just for a year, and they did. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, they hired Dennis Green thereafter. So a wonderful coach, legendary coach. Rest in peace, Bud Grant. What a life. 95 years of age. Incredible. Not only was he in the NFL, but also played in the NBA and won a championship 1950. Quite the story. When we return, we will conduct... The International St. Patrick's Day Litation and Olibation Ceremony here on the Cigar Dave Show. I had the pleasure of knowing the late, great Avo Uvesian, the man behind the Avo lineup of cigars. And Avo had a great saying. He would tell me, savor every note. Well, one cigar that I can tell you, you will savor every puff, savor every note, is the Avo Heritage. It was developed for the cigar connoisseur seeking a fuller-bodied cigar. Strength, complexity, impeccable smoothness, nice notes of spice. If you are looking for a cigar that delivers full-bodied richness, impeccable smoothness, savor every note of the spice-laden Avo Heritage. Available at DavidoffGeneva.com. an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy. It's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers. As we enjoy some St. Patrick's Day music, ah yes, manly yes, but I like it too. Everybody is Irish today. I don't care what your religion, what your ethnicity, everybody is Irish today as we celebrate St. Patrick's Day. And I have selected a special cigar for today, kind of a tradition. From Alec Bradley, they have their Filthy Hooligan, their black market barber pole Filthy Hooligan. And this year they've also come out with the Shamrock. It is called their Filthy Hooligan Shamrock. Pair of seasonal cigars, and what makes it unique to make it that Irish green? It has a Candela wrapper. A Candela wrapper, the chlorophyll remains in the leaf. It's a very neutral leaf in terms of flavor. It was very popular in the 50s, 60s, even the 70s. And then as people discovered Connecticut and people discovered Maduro and people discovered Honduran and Nicaraguan wrappers, it went out of style. But it's still made. Many people still enjoy, especially on the mass market side. But the Alec Bradley Black Market Filthy Hooligan is a Barber Pole Toro. Two wrappers, a Nicaraguan Habano and the other a Honduran Candela for the green contrast. It uses an Ecuadorian Sumatra binder, and the uh, fillers come from Honduras and Panama. Very unique. This is a medium-bodied cigar. It's not going to overpower you. It's very, very pleasant. Suggested retail, $11.50. And the Filthy Hooligan Shamrock takes it a step further. They use three wrappers, a brown Nicaraguan Habano, a green Honduran Candela, and a very dark brown, almost a Maduro Nicaraguan Habano. Actually, it is, I think, a Maduro. So very, very dark, very unique. They don't make many of these. 
The Barber Pole Toro, 24,000, correction, it is uh, 48,000 cigars and 15,000 cigars for the Shamrock. So very, very limited. This is the 11th release of the Filthy Hooligan, and that's what I have selected. It is made down in Honduras at Tabacos Orient by the Placencia family. Beautiful cigar. The box is green, looks very Irish, always a very popular stick. So I will enjoy today the Alec Bradley Black Market Filthy Hooligan Barber Pole. Cigar-altering and highly sharpened leaf-exposing device. Self-sharpening double-edged stainless steel guillotine ready for action. Maximum BTU flame-throwing and heat-producing apparatus. From the Cigar Odev, Arandio Laboratories, I have my Cigar Dave Pentagon. It has a, a five-star lighter. It's got a Pentagon shape with the five jet flames. I've got a nice big translucent tank, built-in piercer, beautiful-looking lightation device on this St. Patrick's Day. Cigar, Cigar pre-lightation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two, one. By the way, talking about inflation, brisket up 13%, potatoes up 14%, beer is up 4%, whiskey's up 4%. Outrageous. And there's more inflation to come. I hate to tell you that, but unfortunately we have the brain-dead Biden regime as well as Janet Yellen who couldn't uh, find her way out of a piss-soaked paper bag, and Jerome Powell, who's uh, clueless. We are going to be in for some massive inflation to come. Buckle up. I'm telling you right now, it's going to be a bumpy ride. There's one man, one president that can save us, save this nation. You know who I'm talking about. That would be the great Donald J. Trump. Now, as I get ready to toast the foot of his cigars, I just realized... I forgot to extend my long-ash greetings and long-ash salutations to all of you, as I normally do. I should say long olash salutations. All right, as I toast the foot of this Alec Bradley, black market filthy hooligan. I love the barber pole. Beautiful. All right, let's puff and rotate. Mmm. Oh, yeah. Mm. Now it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm. What's interesting is that as you smoke your way down, like right now I've got the candela at the very end for probably about mm, a quarter of an inch. Then I'm going to get into the Honduran part of the Hondur- the the, uh, the Honduran wrapper. So what will happen? Or correction, the Nicaraguan Habano. Uh, wrap the darker the, the darker of the two wrappers I'll get a different taste complexion then it goes back to the Candela then it goes back to the Nicaraguan so I'm going to be alternating all the way on this so it gives you some very unique uh, flavors now this is right off the bat I'm getting a mild to medium taste remember a wrapper delivers about 50 to 60 percent of the flavor of a cigar the Candela is a very neutral wrapper not a lot of spice, not a lot of sweetness. It's just very, very neutral. But pleasant, and as I go along, I'll tell you the difference when I get to Nicaraguan Habano. I'm sure it's going to be a little spicier, a little bit more robust as we continue on. 
scotch, bourbon, beer. This is the Bold Alpha Weekly Spirits Tasting on the Cigar Dave Show. Well, today I'm going to enjoy an Irish whiskey. And as we know from the many times we've spoken and conducted Irish whiskey tasting maneuvers, Irish whiskey is tends to be tamer and smoother than Scotch whiskey. The malt is not, they don't use a peat in the cooking of the barley, so you don't get that, that really that peatiness, that smokiness, and also it tends to be a, a little bit smoother because they do a four distillation process, so it really eliminates many of the impurities. Very, very pleasant. Irish whiskey has been on a tear the last eight, ten years. Very popular. One time, the Bushmills Distillery was the only remaining distillery in Ireland. Now there are about 30-plus that are active, and there's another probably 8-10 that are in the works. So we will certainly see more Irish whiskey varieties coming out. Now, Bushmills is located, it's actually named after the village on the north coast of the county Antrim in Northern Ireland. It sits 60 miles from Belfast, north of Belfast, and it is named after the River Bush and the large water mill that was built there in the early 17th century. Thus, you have Bushmills, and there you go. And so I have selected now the Bushmills Red Bush. Who doesn't like Bush? Let's talk about, first of all, the distillery. They've been around for 400 years. Not going anywhere. Let me open up the bottle here as I pour this. Oh, this is beautiful. Very nice, light, almost a light apple cider color. And what makes this unique is that they take their Irish whiskey and is matured to perfection in first-use bourbon casks, meaning they buy the used bourbon casks from the bourbon distillers in the United States. They bring them over to Ireland, and they fill them, and then they don't use them again. First fill. Because every time you keep adding something else, it changes. So they want that bourbon, the char, the bourbon, they want that to marry into the Bushmills Red Bush. Not overly expensive. You're looking probably 25 to 28 bucks for a bottle. But Bushmills was granted a license to distill in 1608. Not only is it been around for 400 years, oldest distiller, licensed distillery in the world along the northern coast of Ireland where the Arctic storms rage against the jagged cliffs and the crisp waters of the river bush cut through volcanic rock, giving a very unique taste to the Bushmills line of Irish whiskeys. So let me, mm, now this is triple distilled, not quadruple. This one is triple. I will say cheers. Has some nice notes of honey right off the top on the nose. Mmm. Oh, magnificent. This is so smooth. For people that want a nice whiskey, but don't want that real smoky peatiness or that heavy maltiness, I'm telling you, Irish whiskey, Tullamore Dew is fantastic, Bushmills, you really can't go wrong. Not going to break the bank. Very, very pleasant. Definitely getting some nice notes right off the bat of some honey. Take another sip. Mmm. little vanilla. Almost a little bit of uh, sweetness, but it's just perfect. It's light, not overpowering, absolutely fantastic. Now, I have seen 
Bushmills Red Bush for as low as 24 bucks. It is getting harder to find. Everywhere you go, it is definitely, well, you can find it, but what's happening is the popularity now of Irish whiskey has just exploded. So you'll go to many retailer shelves, and they may not have the big selection that they used to. And I will say that Bush, or Bushmills, they've got some just a tremendous selection of their various whiskeys. At one time, it was just very limited. Now they've got their limited edition, which is 28 to 30-year-old aged. They've got their single malts, 10 years to 21. Actually, a correction, 10 years to goes to 21, 25, and then 30. And then they have their classics, the original, the black bush, which is matured in sherry casks, the red bush, which are uh, matured in first-use bourbon uh, uh, oak casks, and then they have their prohibition recipe, which is a little bit more bold, a little bit more forward, a little bit more strength, higher proof, 92 proof, very nice, can't go wrong. I'm telling you, if you bought buy a bottle of Bushmills Red or even Black, you can't go wrong. The Black's a little bit firmer in taste. The Red Bush, a little bit tamer. You cannot, for 25 bucks, it is an absolute no-brainer. Let me take another puff of my Alec Bradley. Mm. Mm. Black Market Filthy Hooligan. And now I'm starting to get some of the Nicaraguan Habano taste because I have smoked down the first quarter inch. Mm. Now I'm getting a little more spice. So very pleasant. Mm. Very nice. All right, the final and concluding segment of this edition of the Cigar Dave Show comes your way next. Gurkha has long been the king when it comes to opulent, grandly made cigars. And the new Gurkha Pure Evil more than lives up to that legacy. Gurkha originally launched the Pure Evil 15 years ago as a limited edition cigar. They went back to their blend vault. They tweaked the blend to add more flavor, more complexity. The result is a Gurkha Pure Evil that is loaded with flavor, full body, Full notes of richness. Habano wrapper, Nicaraguan binder, Nicaraguan filler. Don't let the name fool you. The Gurkha Pure Evil is pure cigar pleasure. Gurkha, the world's finest cigars. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. You know that theme? That is the theme from I Dream of Jeannie, and who could forget the lovely Barbara Eden, who played Jeannie, wearing her little Jeannie outfit, showing her midriff. That was big back in the 60s. Larry Hagman playing Major Nelson. No, is that Major Nelson? Yeah, I think he was Major Nelson. I always called him Master, because that's what Jeannie called. Who doesn't want to have a Jeannie? Think about that. Who would not want to have a genie? Where you just say, genie, I want you to do this, this, and this. Yes, master. Yes, master. Blink her eyes. Cross her arms. Boom. Every man should have a genie or more than one genie in their harem. Well, Barbara Eden has not made many public appearances lately, but she did a couple of weeks ago, beginning actually around March, uh, I think it was like March 7th, March 8th, for a public um, event for Marcel Remus Real Estate held at the Beverly Hills Hotel, great hotel, and she looked absolutely fantastic. Age 91, 
looks smashing. Still has the great figure, the face, just unbelievable. She really has aged extremely well. And when I think of stars from that time, really elegant stars, I think of certainly Barbara Eden, Raquel Welch, Sophia Loren. They don't build them like that anymore. These women, timeless classics. I know people, let me tell you, when these women, when I was in my 20s and they were in their 50s and 60s, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I would definitely do Raquel Welch. Oh, Jeannie, oh, yeah, definitely do her. Sophia Loren, they just had a very unique class about them. She still looks great, magnificent. So she doesn't make many appearances, but hard to believe she is 91, and we still see reruns. I mean, I, if you go to one of these streaming services uh, uh, that are available you can see a lot of the reruns, and you watch. It's still entertaining today, and it's timeless. And she's still, you look back then and say, man, she back in the day, smoking hot, and today she still looks great. So Barbara Eden, 91, absolutely ravishing, elegant, smashing, sensational, absolutely stunning at age 91. Now, I also want to uh, acknowledge a... Man you may not have met. I've never met him, but I read about him and I had to share this story. Maury Markoff lives in downtown Los Angeles in his condo. He just turned 109 years old. Now, did he want to go out for a steak dinner? How did he want to celebrate? Nope. He celebrated with a belly dancer that made a house call. And 109-year-old Maury looked absolutely, he looked like he was having the time of his life. The dancer comes out in this white bedazzled getup, and he was grinning ear to ear. I mean, he's having a great time living the dream. She really put on a show, and uh, I think that is fantastic. You'll recall I told you about a story. Oh, it's got to be last year. A Texas man celebrated his 100th birthday surrounded by a bunch of strippers at a gentleman's club where his daughter had taken him to celebrate the big 100. And uh, I find that amazing. The daughter was there taking pictures. And, of course, you know, he's, he's loving those friction lap dances. It just shows. No matter what age, men love hot dames and they love boobs. They're called boobs, Ed. That is fantastic. So happy birthday to 109-year-old Maury Markoff living the dream as he should. All right, before I get to our final story of this edition of the Cigar Dave Show, I do want to bring up very important item that I'm not going to get into detail this week because I had too many other things on this St. Patrick's Bay, but I will next week. Specifically, the FUDA is proposing regulating cigar factories and other tobacco manufacturing facilities. They are proposing that any cigar manufacturer, whether in the United States or in any other country, that would be Dominican, Honduras, Nicaragua, they would have to follow come up with a giant plan and uh, come up with a with a a whole operating plan on how the how the factory operates this proposed rule these proposed regulations came out in a 296 page release by the FUDA and I have gone through much of it but I have not gone through all of it now it's proposed meaning, that the cigar manufacturers, the tobacco manufacturers will give their input. And you can be sure that the enemy of pleasure, the enemies of pleasure will say, oh, and throw everything at them. 
whereas people are going to say, especially cigar manufacturers, saying, look, you know, for us to come up with a with a plan on how the how the the filler is stuffed into the binder, and then the wrapper around it, and the environmental conditions and you know risks and supplier qualifications and identifiers and manufacturing standards all sorts of nonsense again this is nothing more than bureaucratic overreach are you telling me that the fda wants to spend more of their time or i should say the fda it's baffling to me the fda is spending more time on these stupid cigar factory and other tobacco manufacturing facility regulations than on actually regulating the food that's coming from around the world. How about the food coming from China? I wouldn't let my my canine, my dog Pendragon's Royal Baron, I wouldn't let him eat anything from China. I wouldn't want to eat it. I wouldn't give it. I only buy him treats made in the United States. I buy him one specific treat. They're called uh, doggy chicken chips. 100% dog uh, chicken tenderloin, food uh, human grade, made in the United States, no salt, no preservatives, nothing. It's like eating uh, potato chips. I've eaten them. They're good. 100% chicken tenderloin. That's it. They dry them out. That's it. I wouldn't buy anything consumed or ingested from China. I mean, there are proposals where the food processors in the United States could send their chickens over to China to be processed and sent back. That's going to save money. We have to send our food supply to an enemy. It is amazing to me. The FDA should spend all their time on the safety of food and drugs. How about the Wuhan virus? Is that safe? I don't think so. Again, the FDA has no business regulating tobacco products or cigars. I will get to the whole thing because it's going to take me time to go over everything, what they are proposing, even if it is enacted. We'd be looking at probably five years down the road. And the reality is, I think there are going to be so many more lawsuits. In fact, there's a lawsuit that's still undergoing where the premium cigar manufacturers are saying they should be excluded from the deeming regulations. And if the judge rules in their favor, that changes everything. So I will spend time on this next week. I will go over the highlights, the important factors. But I'm look, I've got the report right here, 296 pages, and I'm glancing through this. It is literally bureaucratic bullshit, like 99.99% of it. Totally ridiculous. But I'll do that next week. But I did not want to. The FDA did release that late last week, and I did not want to skip that. But I will get to that uh, next week for sure. All right, finally, SNL was hosted by Super Bowl champion Travis Kelsey, member of the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, what was it? A week ago, Saturday. It was actually, you know, pretty funny. I caught some of the highlights. I don't watch it like I used to, live at 11.30 or DVR. I'll go on YouTube and see some highlights. Well, there was an interesting skit that was next. And it featured the NFL's Travis Kelsey, his brother Jason Kelsey, who plays for the Eagles, just signed a one-year deal to continue playing on the offensive line for the Eagles, and Creed Humphrey, who I believe is also on the, uh, on the Chiefs. And the skit involved, it started off with a wussified beta male, looked really geeky and wimpy with his girlfriend or wife. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the Travis Kelsey comes in, then the NFL players come in, and they show up as manly, strong alpha males 
who were better at picking up women, raising them from the floor because the women's beta boyfriends were too weak to lift them. And it was done under the guise of an NFL public service announcement for, um, for a charity performed for women where the NFL players are said to be giving back to the community. You'll remember all those United Way commercials during the games, you know, where they'd show the players and the teams giving back. And it was done in that same type of spirit. Well, what do you know? The skit was cut. Now, the skit was cut because, according to SNL officials, they were running out of time. But most people are not buying it. Now, there's different theories running around. One that, well, it shows NFL players as being alphas, and you know maybe that was a little bit over the top. And then there was a former NFL player just got sent to jail for beating up his uh, baby mama's uh, his baby mama and a number of people from the NFL said maybe you could back off and not not run that this week too sensitive too soon look it was parody it should have been run the good news is we have the audio now as you listen to this audio there are some parts where it may not make sense because you can't see what they're doing but in some parts they're lifting up the women they're giving them pity, piggyback rides, and at the very end, they're even lifting up some of the beta males. There's this one beta male where his girlfriend or wife is like, yes, lifting her up. Well, it's actually Travis Kelsey from behind hiding and lifting him up. So that's the whole premise. Let's take a listen. On the field, we're athletes, but off the field, it's our job to give back to serve the community. That's why this offseason, NFL players are using their strength for an important charitable cause. Lifting women whose boyfriends can't pick them up. Lift me up. Okay, okay. Lift me. I'm trying. Might be easier if you're elevated. Again? I got it from here, boss. Travis Kelsey? I got you, ma'am. Oh, what do you weigh? 80 pounds? <laughs> Look, I love my little boyfriend. Boyfriend? Right. <laughs> he makes me laugh a lot, and he's so creative. But sometimes I just want to be thrown around and feel tiny. Sometimes I want to be with a man who looks like he can throw my ass over a house. Babe, good news. Crypto's back. Uh-huh. That's great, babe. Again. What is Chief's lineman Creed Humphrey doing here? Volunteering. Again. That's great. Again. I love charity. Okay. One more time. You may be eligible for our services if your boyfriend is a comedy writer, music critic, adult Legoist, loves the show Andor, has traveled to see John Mulaney, has special glasses for looking at computer, or has arms that are the same width from wrist to shoulder like Doug Funny. Ooh, my jeans are fitting good today. Those are mine. Don't worry, I got this big man. What's a piggyback ride? Hey. Sometimes I want to feel small. When I wear my boyfriend shirt, people are like, cute, where'd you get that top? But Jason Kelsey gave me his hoodie and... It's bigger. Because sometimes I just want to be a backpack. And sometimes I want to be a front backpack. <laughs> and most times we don't want to hear your jokes. We just want to be thrown, chucked, vaulted into space. Lifted straight up from our butt cheeks, smashed into your chest. Folded like paper. And most of all, like you are an immovable, pulsating throne for our tired, weathered bodies. You lifted me up. Yeah, I've been working out. Mm. Mm. 
NFL gives back. The football is you. You want to take a uh, watch of that, go over to YouTube, do a search for SNL parody football players. It should come up. Enough. Before I get to this next cut, I got to set this up. I, I, I forgot I had this cut and I have to play it. The uh, Congressional Committee, the Government Weaponization Subcommittee met earlier this week. And two journalists, Mark Schellenberger and Matt Taibbi, who were responsible for releasing many of the Twitter files, appeared before the committee to talk about the suppression that went on and, and, and what Twitter did in social media. And, of course, the Republicans wanted to find out what happened. Well, the Democrats spent all their time, instead of saying, hey, we, want to, we don't want suppression or censorship, the Democrat Party now is all about obliterating the First Amendment. If they don't, you don't agree with what their philosophy is and you speak out against it, they want you banned. They want your First Amendment rights obliterated. That's fact. The Democrats embarrassed themselves at this hearing. And they went after both of these journalists, who, by the way, are Democrat journalists. One of them, Schellenberger, said he voted for Biden. They are not in any way, shape, or form Republican or conservative journalists. Remember the days when you didn't know what a journalist, whether they were Democrat or Republican, and they just presented the news fairly? Remember the days when you'd watch late-night TV, The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, and he'd make jokes on both Democrats, Republicans, not mean-spirited, but didn't talk politics. It made you laugh. It was funny. It was a great way to end the day and before you went to bed. Do you remember the days when you didn't know whether Johnny Carson was a Republican or a Democrat? To this day, I don't know. I don't care. Johnny Carson was funny. And he never, all his jokes, even when we were after politicians, they were never mean-spirited. They were funny. You can't say the same about the assholes. And I, I, I strong, strong word, big word. But they are. Jimmy Kimmel is an embarrassment. I mean, you, you watch Jimmy Kimmel, you watch uh, uh, Colbert, you watch Fallon. They're horrible. It's all politics. That's not funny. It's not entertaining. I'll still watch reruns of The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. I'll laugh my ass off. 40 years, 50 years later, it's funny. It's entertaining. And now the Democrats, everything is mean-spirited. They've gone after, they went after these two journalists to the point where the Democrats just embarrass themselves. Oh, you're a so-called journalist. And it was ridiculous. Representative Sylvia Garcia of Texas, the Houston area, showed what an absolute moron she is. Absolute buffoon. Going after both Schnellenberger and Taibbi. And I'm going to play this cut for you. Because then they bring in, they talk about another female journalist. And you've got to hear how this thing goes off tracks. And you'll notice that towards the end of this audio cut, there's a pause. And the pause is because Schnellenberger and Taibbi try, had to control themselves from laughing their asses off. And behind, you see there's about 10 people behind them in the gallery. And they're trying to control, they're laughing their asses off when, when Sylvia Garcia brings this up. Take a listen. Good way to end this uh, edition of the Cigar Dave Show. In, um, in your discussion, in your answer, you also said that you were invited by a friend, Barry Weiss. 
My friend Barry Weiss. So this friend works for Twitter, or what is what is her? Um... She's a journalist. Sir, I didn't ask you a question. I'm, I'm now asking Mr. Schellenberger a question. Please yes, ma'am. Barry Weiss is a journalist. I'm sorry, sir? She's a journalist. She's a journalist. So you work in concert with her? Um, yeah. Do you know when she first uh, was contacted by Mr. Musk? I, I don't know. You don't know. So you're in this as a threesome? Um, there was many more people involved than that. There was many more people involved with it. Note the delay. Are you in this as a threesome? They're laughing their asses off. When I saw it, I was laughing my ass off. This is how this Sylvia Garcia, you would think this bimbo would actually take the time to say, okay, who, who's, give me the details. Who's Barry Weiss? Who are the players? What are these guys? Are these guys, are they legit? What are they? Oh yeah, they're, they're legit. All right. What do they release? You'd think she'd take the, she didn't even know what a goddamn tweet was. That's how stupid she is. It shows you how dumb the Democrats are. In order to be a Democrat, and if you're a Democrat, I'm sorry. You're a moron. If you want to be a Democrat today, you have to be brain dead. That's the only explanation. Going after legit journalists for breaking a story. Then they were trying to uncover their sources. Who released this to you? Who gave this to you? And they're like, I'm not releasing sources. You're not answering our questions. I mean, it was just so embarrassing that the Democrats have blatantly now decided to shit-can the First Amendment. That is their attitude. If you speak something which goes against the Democrat philosophy, if you speak against arming Ukraine, if you speak against censorship and government intervention, then we're going after your First Amendment rights. I'm getting sick and tired of these politicians, both Democrat and Republican, that say, oh, if you're against arming Ukraine and spending more, a hundred more billion, then you're for Putin and Russia. I don't want us to spend another nickel. This is a war between two Slavic nations that we have zero national interest in. I don't give a shit if they both blow each other up. And if you look at Zelensky, Trump told him back in September of, I want to say, 2000. 19, solve your differences with Putin. Sit down with him and solve it. And Zelensky rolled his eyes, rolled his head, did everything to basically give Trump the finger without giving it to him. Trump was right yet again. But all of a sudden now, if you are not in favor of sending more billions, unlimited billions to Ukraine, you are a supporter of Putin and Russia. This isn't our problem. They're not a member of NATO. They want to be a member of NATO, but they're not. And the mistake that was made was that instead of embracing Russia after Russia fell, after the Soviet Union fell, and saying, great, the Cold War's over, new uh, leadership in Russia, let's bring you into the world. They didn't. We did it to Japan. We did it to Germany after World War II. But we had to keep gloating. The neocons needed an enemy. They had to keep gloating. They hated the fact there was no more Soviet Union. There was no more enemy. They needed an enemy. And today, instead of worrying about the real enemy, the Chinese Communist Party, the People's Republic of China, no, we're still wasting our time on Russia. It's been over a year, and Russia hasn't been able to put Ukraine away. But they're getting close. But now all of a sudden, if you disagree with the regime... We're going to take away your First Amendment rights. We're going to shadow ban you. 
enough is enough. The Democrats have proven that they are the absolute lowest form of life in the country. Well, let's say child molesters are probably just below them and murderers and violent criminals. But they're right there. They're right towards the bottom of the pack, right towards the bottom of the pile. Lowest form of life in the United States of America. 100% true. All right, I hope you enjoy your St. Patrick's Day celebration today. It's going to go on all weekend. Enjoy your corned beef and cabbage, your bangers and mash. Enjoy your Guinness. Enjoy your Bushmills. Enjoy your Tullamordu. Enjoy everything Irish on this St. Patrick's Day weekend. Segaro Dave sing, may your humidor always be full. May your cutter always be sharp. May your ash be extra, extra long. Semper delectation. Always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Screw the Democrats. And make America great again. Hashtag Save America. Save America Trump 2024. I believe Donald O'Trump is Irish too. Have a fantastic weekend. Aaron Go Brow and Aaron Go Puff. Bye bye.